Frank. It's that time of the year. No, it's not time to eat all that leftover candy from Halloween. It is time for lightning talks. Are you ready? I am so ready, but I really thought you were going to say Christmas there. So, okay, but we're not there yet. We'll do lightning talks instead. Christmas will come. I know it will. I will say I am in Brazil currently. And (laughs) in Brazil, uh, you know, Halloween is very regional based. It's not throughout the world like Um, Christmas is. Christmas seems to be all over the place. And it (laughs) is still kind of end of October here, almost Halloween when we're recording this. And Christmas is everywhere. Halloween not to be seen at all. There are are Christmas stores everywhere. It's crazy. Oh, no. Okay. Well, does that mean you can get peppermint hot chocolate then? You probably don't want to get that there, though, huh? (laughs) Well, maybe. How hot is it? Uh, It is about 86 degrees here. It's lovely. (laughs) It's lovely. Awesome. Great way to spend a Halloween. I remember when I was a kid, it would actually usually be the first snow would happen on Halloween night. So it's cool that it's 80 degrees for you. <laughs> yeah, I've been a little bit spoiled. I think for the last three years, well, Heather and I have known each other for almost, yeah, almost three years now. And every single time for the last few years, I've never been home for Halloween. So we can never uh, celebrate Halloween. I was in, um, where was that last year? I don't know where it was last year, but two years ago, I was in spain where it was also very warm and then last year i was also Mm -hmm. somewhere very warm and then this year i am here in brazil so it's kind of crazy but yeah no snow just beautiful yeah yeah i think you need to be in crazy america to appreciate crazy halloween it it, i'm i've i think i've been in europe for halloween it wasn't you know they didn't it's just a silly american holiday to them but here it's a silly american holiday where we have fun so it's a I, i like it a bit I'm excited. Once, I, If I ever get a house one day, then I can like, get, you know, I always want to kind of be that old couple that like, you know, uh, but the baller old couple that has like the best candy on the block for the kiddos. Like I'm talking bars. full size <laughs> bars, baby. I'm Aren't not playing games. <laughs> yeah. The kids but then once I'm you, sold out, your way to their and once, <laughs> once I'm sold out, minis, that's all you get. That's all you get hey, you're teaching them a lesson, you know, early bird gets the worm. That's you it. get a you get a full size bar and a toothbrush. Oh God! Bonus. <laughs> so you're gonna be the crazy rich old couple. Got it. <laughs> there was always that. Um, there was always that person on my block growing up that would put a big bowl of pennies out in front of the house. Did you have that? Wow! I, I, you know, now that you say that, that sounds vaguely familiar, but it also sounds semi crazy. So, what was the intention? Everyone gets one, or do we all just jump in there and grab pennies? Well, so I think the intention was everyone takes some pennies, but then I believe that the older kids on the block just oh, took the whole mm-hmm. jar of pennies. And turn them into weapons with their sacks? I don't know. I, I can see so many uh, bad uses of that. <laughs> yeah, not good. All right, enough well, Halloween oh, craziness. Okay. Let's get into lightning talks. If people are Fun. brand new to Merch Conflict, this is episode 70, and this means it's the 10th. It falls on the 10th of an episode, not of the month, but of the 10x if you will so seven <laughs> times 10 that's 70 that's this episode Way every 10 complex. episodes <laughs> yeah we make it complex every 10 episodes that's all i had to say really we do lightning talks we cover six topics they get five minutes each that is 30 minutes of merch conflict goodness coming into your ear hole and that's pretty awesome because a lot of them come directly from you you can tweet at us at merge conflict fm you can write into the show by going to merge conflict.fm hitting that contact button or just tweet at us we actually build up the topics that you want to hear about over the course of those 10 episodes mm-hmm. and then we bundle them into this awesome thing and we had some great suggestions for this episode are you ready frank yes um we're gonna begin a timer because we take this very seriously so each one's getting five minutes right five minutes all right we can do this <laughs> and 
go. All right. The first one is about release schedules. I'm going to kind of mm. bundle this down into <laughs> we are a multi OS developer building iOS, okay. Android, and possibly Windows apps. Yeah. It sounds like us. Yeah, How sure. do we handle releasing updates to our apps, specifically when you maybe fix a few bugs in Android, but it could oh. be in your shared code, maybe it's <laughs> iOS, that type of updates. How do you uh, feel about yeah. that? Okay. Um, these are tough. Yeah. Uh, so a- this happens a lot on Android. <laughs> it always doesn't work right on one device, so you have to put in a little patch fix or something like that. And so I think the full question was... Uh, if I fix, if I update it on Android, should I also release a new iOS version? And I think in the past I would have given the advice absolutely not because that kills your reviews and ratings score and all that stuff. You really had to um, slowly dole out your iOS updates for that reason. But nowadays, now that we can, now that uh, your reviews don't get reset and now that reviews happen so fast, I'd say, yeah, error on the side of releasing too often. I would definitely limit myself to a couple releases a month, though. Otherwise, you know, it's too much. Yeah, I didn't even think of that, to be honest with you, about the app store reviews Mm. in general. And What a terrible problem that was. It was. I would say that it would be good to update your applications if you do want to clear out your app store reviews. (laughs) But now, I guess. So you You have have the flex... You have the choice there. For me, I, you know, I think often what happens is I am iterating just on one. So a lot of times I might just be optimizing just my Android application and the Mm -hmm. iOS one doesn't matter at all. To be honest with you, what I attempt to do is if it's just bug fixes, uh, it's usually for one or two platforms. And it's not that much work to go from my CI service with either either BitRise or Mobile Center or something like that up directly into the App Store. So in that instance, it's fine. I would say if you don't have that production pipeline in place and it's going to be a headache for you to try to sim ship (laughs) and get the release notes there. Mm -hmm. The question comes down to maintainability for me. How much, how many different sets of release notes do I want to maintain? You know, what do I want to be putting in them? But I will say, Frank, the biggest thing that I would do is attempt to ship a 2.0 or a 3.0 or a big feature release all at the same time. So if I'm bundling up a bunch of features, Mm -hmm. I would rather release the newest version of iOS and Android. If it's just a small bug fix, it depends. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to rush to do it, but you could, you know? I Yeah, I, I um, you, you made a good point about the big release, yeah. But that's a marketing event. Yeah, you, you want to make a big splash when that happens. For the other stuff, the truth is I, I do exactly what you said of I tend to focus on one platform at a time because that's what it takes um, to, to really refine a platform. You kind of have to live with it for a few weeks or months even sometimes to get it into good shape. And so history bears that that's the actual cycle I do, though I am trying to improve upon myself um, because releases were such a big deal on iOS they had to be good I looked at every iOS release as like a long-term stable release like it, it should be solid and that made every release more and more difficult uh, I would do like more and more testing I'd you know be rigorous with everything that works it's fine um, but what I think I prefer is a faster release cadence and with that happening um, you don't have to worry about testing every little 
<laughs> part of the app every time because you're more comfortable with getting a release out if you do accidentally break something. And I, I say that it sounds terrible out loud, but I hope you know what I mean. Like when you get into a faster cadence, you don't have three months of things to test. You just have a couple weeks of things to test. Yeah, that's a good point. It's almost like how a lot of people are redeploying their website like multiple times a day, or I think Amazon deploys like mm. ridiculously all the time, little bit, bits and pieces. And when you are only doing one or two bug fixes, there's less potential for regression. I do that often with my libraries. Instead of trying to bundle up tons of changes, I'll just do one or two little bug fixes here and there, uh, and then just ship a NuGet or you know preview. I'm just like, here, 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 just go, 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 right? Because I'd rather just test that one thing, which is a diff essentially from the previous mm -hmm. one. But at the same time, I will yep. say, if you're only fixing Android code, there's no need to up. I mean, you can look in your Git history. If you literally did nothing in your iOS app, don't do an update that has a diff of nothing. That's my that's my takeaway. Well, 100%. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Releases should have something in them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Cool. Next up, that look at that. Us on time, five minutes. Nailed next it. up is every great front end, Frank, needs a great, awesome back end. But. Ooh, okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, mobile I application. I can test the question. The premise is wrong. <laughs> okay. Anyway. So once you decide that you want a cloud provider for a back end, how do you manage that you're going to have to pay for something at some yeah. point. And how do <laughs> you keep dollars. your expenses under control? Ooh. Okay, so this is uh, my greatest fear. Uh, this is why I, I feel like we've talked about this. This is why I'm very hesitant to release apps that have server backends, because I'm always afraid of this. Um, the truth is, and what I hope and what the logic out there is, is that if your app is so popular that you're having to spend some money on your servers, then that's a good problem to have, because ideally you figured out a monetization um scheme is that the right word scheme that sounds terrible scheme, <laughs> scheme. okay where um, maybe you're doing uh, monthly subscriptions and so that your users actually cover your bills so as your users increase and your bills increase you still make a profit right that's how the magical world should work the problem is if your scheme doesn't provide that for you i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah what's your experience <laughs> so there's a few things every i'll say this to begin with every cloud provider out there for development purposes you should never be paying money you just use the free tier there's always azure has a free tier i have a free i don't know if i have a free database but i think the minimum database is like five dollars a month and that's pretty fine but the, there's a free web service out there i think what's really important is that a lot of developers may jump into saying i'm gonna go spin up a database i'm gonna spin up a web api i'm gonna go you know spin up this website on top of yeah. it not realizing what those services are doing or costing. Yeah, um, especially with Docker, it's so easy. Like I was trying to build a website earlier this month and it became like five Docker images somehow very quickly. And I was like, wait a minute, how am I going to pay for five instances? <laughs> mm -hmm. Or VMs, like, you're, oh, I'm going to spin up yeah. a VM. I'm going to do this. Here's a few tips and tricks from James Montemagno working at Microsoft and how to kind of not game Azure, but at least how to know what you're doing in that portal. Ooh. It's kind of confusing. Yeah. Now, every service has a set different tier of pricing. So when you create a new web app or a new database, it is going to give you not the minimum, not the max, somewhere in between. And uh, that could be a little bit pricey. You could pay, you know, 40, 30, 40 bucks a month to have a really speedy website, web API, and a really speedy database. But you may not need that if you have 100 users and you can 
yeah. bring it down to the more minimum tiers. I think my minimum that I have is maybe like $10, $15 tops a month for a single service. But also realize that when you create a web app, it's a part of an app service and an app service can have multiple apps inside of it. This is a big mistake. You got to kind of learn <laughs> these different web backends because you should be able to deploy multiple apps into an app service that are all under one price tier. So it doesn't matter if you have one or five apps inside of it, it's all one price. Does that make sense? It does when you say that, but I still feel like you need to be literally holding my hand as I use the website because I get so confused between the subscription models and the umbrella things, the non-umbrella things, Mm -hmm. and yeah, the default tiers. What I often worry about, honestly, is um, just uh, domain names switching. Uh, So say I want to switch from tier to tier or move to a different uh, backend or something like that. I don't want to update my app necessarily. Are there easy ways to just put like little front end um i don't know (laughs) i don't know what i'm trying to say i'm just worried about bouncing between all these tiers but does that work well yes yeah it works pretty seamless i would say in general and the same thing with databases right you have one sql server that has multiple sql databases that that makes sense right yeah sure sure yeah but same thing with the web share those between different websites you know that's like that's where i get confused what i share yeah why not it's all in the Why cloud. Not? I will say this. One additional thing to mention is that all these different cloud providers, especially Azure, has a bunch of free credits that you should just get. If you have MSDN and Visual Studio, you get a crap ton of Azure credits, but you can get a whole bunch per year or use Dev Essential. I'm going to link it to you in the show notes. You get a whole bunch of Azure credits every single month completely for free. I've never gone over Ooh. my free tier. I'm not doing like hundreds of millions of users, but at the same time, <laughs> For me to run a few services and things like that, you 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 get it. It's um oh, a whole tip. bunch cool. of free services and two hundred dollars <laughs> for the first month and a bunch of other stuff. So just go do that. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Thanks. I am gonna do that. I know you're talking to the audience, but that was straight to me. <laughs> oh geez. Yep. All right. Well, our next topic is one near and dear to my heart, and that is architecture, app architecture. We are going to talk about IOC containers. Oh, you and know I love IOC, Frank. It's my favorite topic because it's stupid. <laughs> so why do you say it's stupid? I mean, I have my reasons. Um, I think it's um, it's definitely the architecture du jour. Everyone loves to do this to their code. The idea is you break your code up into a bunch of services, none of which, well, yeah, you build a giant graph of services and then everyone knows each other. It's all done through interfaces. It's all very confusing, but people like it. You don't. <laughs> um, I think that there's a difference. I think what I don't like the most is inversion of control itself and doing constructor injection and the complication and having layers upon layers. I like architecture. I'm a very interface first developer. I That's just right. think that there's yeah. no need for complex registry systems. There's no complex <laughs> injection needed in my application. Some yeah. One developer told me best and they may or may not be on this podcast with me, which is just knew it up. James just knew it up. Um, and, and, uh, and that might be the, that might be the uh, episode title. Just knew it up. And, and honestly, like, um, I will say I do use some dependency services. I use whatever's built into the box or a very sh- small yeah. one that I write myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's what I use. 
uh, myself. Yeah. If I'm using Xamarin Forms, I use the Xamarin Forms one. It's great. And there's a great article from XamarinHelp.com about the performance of how it's the best one and everyone should use it and not use all this other crap that's out there. I don't need another library to do stuff that I can just new it up, right? That's my that's my <laughs> my justification. Maybe I'm just old grumpy. Oh, so much there. Um, <laughs> well, let's, uh, that performance article is kind of cool, though. So if you are using a container, though, there is this neat performance write up showing you uh, which parts are slow, which parts are fast for doing this kind of architecture. Now, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I will do interface kind of driven programming where you don't, you just kind of sketch up how things talk to each other and leave it at that and implement it later. But, um, and like you, I also don't do the injection into the constructors where objects just magically get references to other objects and God knows how that's all happening. I tend to, you know what, in, in my head, it creates this kind of like spider web graph of all these objects talking to each other. And I prefer, I guess, layered systems where I know like this layer communicates with this layer, this layer communicates with that layer. And that's definitely harder it requires that you plan out your app a little bit more and perhaps you're painting painting yourself into corners potentially but the alternative to that is to have a spider's web's nest of dependencies that i can't comprehend yeah i also think of the onboarding for not only i do a lot of demos and hence a lot of open source sample apps or full apps Mm -hmm. and i also think about me coming into a project a year from now trying to update it i mean i've had to do that before and trying to find code it's a lot easier when you just new something up and there it is, right? You, it, may be an, yeah. it may be an interface, but you're still newing yeah. it up and you don't need to worry about it. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it, kind of my thought. It's the simplicity. When you hide code, it's great because you don't have to write that code. It, it's all done implicitly for you. But then six months later, you're like, but where is the stupid object coming from? Like, I yeah. don't see it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, and um, I often yeah. run into that even inside of Visual Studio. I'm like, oh, let me just right click and go to, oh, let me go. All right, let me go find the implementations. Which implementations <laughs> being passed in? Yeah, that's a yeah. problem. And also, I like the idea of this Fody thing, Fody Fody of the weavers yes. and all that stuff. Let me tell you why I don't use it. I don't mm. use it, even though I think it's awesome, because mm. I, I don't know. It's all too much magic. I don't want other things happening. I know it's compiler magic, but if I don't see it, then it doesn't exist. That's my that's my assumption. Yeah. Uh, maybe uh, I'm Fody, old and has, grumpy, but... Uh, no, I get where you're coming from, though. It's it's experience, usually. <laughs> um, Fody, I love because I love generative programming. I love anything that's doing my work for me. Uh, but you're right. I don't do it either because I have a fear of complex build systems, mostly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's yet another dependency. That's kind of my... Yeah, exactly. Another yeah. version I have to keep in sync. And yeah, yeah. Just yeah. write the Ooh, code. <laughs> let me tell you how, how lightning this lightning talk topic is. It literally uh-huh. just came in from a listener. Are you ready, Frank? <laughs> I can't wait for this because <laughs> we have a blank spot and now it got filled. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Saraf, that's what I'm going to say. Ben, oh, Ben is his name. That was his, part of his email. But Ben says, he says, what? He says Xamarin Forms plugin. I'm going to say plugin in general for Xamarin, mm-hmm. Xamarin mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. most needed or requested that doesn't exist yet. <laughs> Ooh, wow. That's Great tricky. question. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm going to go on the forms topic and just say gestures. It's always been kind of a missing hole in Xamarin forms. I've considered writing one myself, but just the ability to be able to add, um, pinching, dragging, um, scrolling, all that to basically any view or something like that, I think would be pretty nice, but there's a million hardware interfaces too. I would love to see. What do you have? Any thoughts? You know, I would say that. 
some of my biggest challenges is finding some of the most amazing plugins that are out there. Uh, and sometimes it's just discovery that I don't know they're there. So yeah. for instance, Alois, who made this micro charts library, which is amazing based on Skia Sharp, I was browsing his GitHub and I also found that he had a cross platform not a, I think it was not cross platform, but a, a cross platform API to do Xamarin native and just native development, uh, animation. So Xamarin forms has an animation uh-huh. system. But mm-hmm. for iOS, Android, that doesn't really have a cross-platform API. I mean, you wouldn't access it from shared code, but on every single UI view or Android widget, you could call fade in, fade out. And it was at least mm-hmm. a simple API extension points for everything. And I thought that was amazing. And I think that yeah. the plugins for Xamarin have gone to a point where a lot of them are just blowing my mind. And as new versions of operating systems come out, there's more control widgets, there's more you know, abstracting of what's in the box. But to me, I think what would be really great is more of a Xamarin and Microsoft ask, even though I work for this company, mm-hmm. is to take all of the Google Play services or Facebook APIs or those components and do official plugins for them. I think that would be like a yeah. real win. I think that's what's missing in my case mm-hmm. is that I love Firebase or these analytics or this, but I need a cross-platform version of that. I think that's the... Yeah, My that's app, a good maybe. point. I, I think we've always been chasing that dragon in the Xamarin world because we we are able to consume all these different libraries, but it does require a bit of work, you know, at least a couple of weeks worth of work to actually do the binding. And so it's so much better when someone else does it for you. Mm-hmm. And so we, we've always just needed that, just more and more people. And it actually sounds like a great idea to actually make that m- maybe more of a uh, concerted effort instead of putting all the... Uh, all the necessity onto Microsoft or Xamarin, you know, maybe the community can get organized a little too. Yeah, and some of those are so hard because there's such a moving target all the time, especially yeah. with Google Play oh services. No, I know John <laughs> John Dick is just always updating bindings nonstop. Oh. So for me, wanting to consume those, I almost I really like plugins when their APIs aren't changing, which is great when it's built into the operating system. I think that's a real win, or it's a library mm-hmm. that augments some sort of functionality in a way. So when Google Play Services is moving so fast or the Facebook APIs, it's hard for me to rely on not an official source to bring that in or that's when I write my own. So I think that's why it'd be nice to have an official official source on it. I mean, it'd be nice if Google did it, right? That would be the (laughs) ideal scenario. That's not going to happen, but... Uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) I don't know. For me, it's still more about um, uh, ways to access the features of the OS that are there. I don't care about these integrations so much. I know people do. People with real jobs, they want to talk to their APIs and all that. But for me, it's just the the more, you know, iOS and Android have so much in common, but their APIs are different. You know, just write me common ground APIs so that I can hit both devices from the same code base. It's really just all I want you know, simplicity. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Simplicity, I think is is it. And yeah, to me, I think that it's hard to even put my, I keep thinking about that. And I think if you would have asked me this question two years ago, I could have given you an Excel spreadsheet that had all of the <laughs> ones yeah. that I wanted, right? And uh, I think now that that list has really dwindled. And when I go and I start a new project, I have basically what I want um, out of the box. <laughs> NFC, maybe? Is there a new NFC uh, in iOS 11? That's yeah, the thing is, they, they're always there's always an Android NFC, API, yeah. but iOS is like lacking sometimes. Ha ha ha. Yeah. yeah. Where, where's your built-in 3D API in? <laughs> Urho Sharp, in Android. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Built-in, I meant. <laughs> yeah. 
scene kit cross platform. It's called Erho Sharp. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> perfect. That's good. Speaking, I like that. Yeah. Okay. Lightning, lightning talk. So the next topic, let's, let's stick with programming here. And let's go into something near and dear to my heart. And that is writing code-based UIs. Now, for those who haven't done much UI programming, this means I completely create and represent my UI using code. I don't use any visual designers. I don't use Photoshop. I don't use XAML. I don't, I don't know, what are the alternatives? Paper mache or something? I don't know. I don't use any of those. I write code because I'm a yeah, programmer. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm going to start this with a... a, a uh, a comment. I was writing a bunch of XAML, and then I wrote the equivalent in C sharp, and the C sharp code was actually shorter than the XAML. FYI, like C sharp has some really great syntax these days, and so I just didn't see what the big deal was writing this stuff in XAML if I could just write the same thing in C sharp and just know what I'm doing. Yeah, there you go. So, That's my intro. <laughs> so, great question. Uh, there's different types, I would say. I will say on Android, it's near impossible to write coded UI. Not impossible, but mm-hmm, near impossible. Mm-hmm. That's really hard. It I'm is a big a fan. crazy API. I've tried to do it, and I have to agree with you off the bat because, yeah, it's it's hard to do it code first there. Yeah, to uh, do a, a full layout system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to have context to everything and the weirdness of it. Um, with iOS... I think you can get away actually a lot with coded UI for UI table views and collection views. It's almost set up to be that way, to be honest with you. Um, uh, you know, and I'll even say auto layout. I love making fun of it and all that, but it really cleans up your code. You just say this text field is to the right of this label. Like you can say that in code. So I think it actually yeah. comes out pretty elegant. I think if I was doing just iOS myself, I would try to stay away as much as possible from the storyboard <laughs> um it's, it's like i just i i my my ideal storyboard is a blank storyboard is an is a ui navigation controller is that bad yeah. um, uh, i mean okay yes it is bad no no um i i come from visual basic and i loved um um designer based editing it's it's where i grew up i used delphi i used all that uh, rad application development stuff and I loved it and I miss it I wish I could still do it today but I'm sorry XAML is nowhere near where Visual Basic 4 was and storyboards are nowhere near vis- where Visual Basic 1 was <laughs> I was just like ugh, I can't even use 90s technology I might as well just use code well I- I'll say this much about XAML because I am in love with XAML itself and I always have been which is why <laughs> I like Android XML and you can disagree okay. I today was writing a little bit of code-based XAML, Xamarin Forms UI, mm-hmm. which if people don't know, when Xamarin Forms was in alpha and beta, we did not have XAML at all. So you had to make yeah. C-sharp coded UI, which is why all the samples were in there. And I was very used, I was very productive. Then I went all to XAML and all I do is XAML all the time. And it was hard today to go back to see. I was like, I was slow. Oh, I was this. No. I I love the XAML and I have to do it. And I would rather do XAML UI than coded iOS UI because it's a single API in general I can bring everywhere. Now, I will say there are some advantages to coded UI, especially when you're doing dynamic user interfaces, mm-hmm. which is unique. So you can have your own system to insert specific types of controls or new up you know, different things in general. I need a label, I need a text, I need a button, I need to do all this stuff. Because guess what? You can just generate all that in code very, very easily where you can't do that in XAML. So that's the big perk of at least knowing the the coded UI behind of it because I've I've, I've definitely Mm -hmm. used that a lot and that's a big perk. 
Yeah, it's especially in the dynamic stuff. Um, I think XAML is still good for um, showing and hiding things depending on state. You know, if this if there's stuff in this text box, show this additional UI. It's still pretty good at that. Where it falls down for me is where I have repeated lists of things, but I don't have a good control for it. Like this view is not appropriate in this situation, but I still need dynamic lists and things like that. So it's just when the UI gets a little more complex and you want more control of things where XAML for me breaks down. But like I said, I'm just in the code-based UI world because honestly, I think it's just as productive and IntelliSense works there and IntelliSense and XAML doesn't always work for me. That's true. It's gotten a lot better. I will say that was one (laughs) of the biggest hurdles. It's in Visual Studio 2017, it's gotten a lot better and Mac too. Has it? Okay. Yeah, cool. it's gotten a lot better. Yeah, you should try it out again. You should try it out again, I swear. Um, Every year, I try. Yeah, yeah. We're out of time. I have more comments on it. That's a that's a full episode. Oh, okay, that's the problem. Yeah, we'll get back to it. Yeah. Last topic. How the heck do we record and plan this podcast, Frank? How do we oh, do it? Oh, poorly. <laughs> Extremely poorly. <laughs> uh, no, actually, we're, we're pretty good. Um, we have a regular recording time that we always miss. Um, mm-hmm. mostly because it's James. Because <clears throat> yep. of me. No. <laughs> but he's allowed to do that because he does all the work, to be honest. So, <laughs> oh, um, <you>. yeah. <laughs> so what did we do? Uh, we went out and bought some very expensive microphones because we're tech nerds and that's all we really know how to do. And then um, we use this pretty awesome recording software called Zencaster. Do you want to pitch that? Yeah, so we first went out and bought the blue Nessie microphones. We have the same microphone. Mm-hmm. We also have the same travel mic, which is the blue Raspberry, mm-hmm. which is what I'm currently recording on now, which is why Frank and I may sound a little bit different. It's just a very nice compact microphone. Zencaster I, I like that is, one. I, I got to put my quick review in, though, for the Raspberry. Um, it's a great little mic, but uh, you can overdrive it very easily. So you have to be very sensitive to like where you're holding your head. I found that the, the blue uh, has been a lot... Oh, they're both blue, aren't they? <laughs> the Nessie has been a lot better for that. Yeah, I think so. I think that there you have to do some dialing in and kind of see what Zencaster is giving you. But that being said, how do we we so we every week we have a recurring thing. And if we don't get on it, it's basically just text message based just to ensure that I at least have one day to edit the podcast. Uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't take me very long to, to, to edit the podcast, but it's always good because there's show notes, there's other stuff. And maybe I'm traveling and there's Internet yeah. issues. But we have a Google Doc, um, a Google Sheet, I would say, with all of our topics. And we do not plan anything besides have four or five different bullet points that we want to hit. And we ramble and talk for 30 to 50 minutes. And we get off topic. (laughs) And we have an insertion point for a sponsor, usually not this week. You can always feel free to sponsor Merge Conflict by going to (laughs) mergeconflict.fm slash sponsor. And... We just ramble and and we have, so we use Zencaster. We hop on voice over IP uh, and usually yeah. when it's working great, it will automatically do our voice over IP. We can see our waveforms. It automatically uploads to their servers and then Dropbox. It'll automatically post-produce and merge, take out background noise, levelize everything for me. So I just have to then do a little bit of post-edit. Um, yeah. I'm really impressed with this software. I just want to give a second shout out for Zencaster because they've really simplified the whole task of recording these things. I've done it in the old school way where you do local recordings and then someone has to import it. Then they have to time match the codes. Then they have to apply all the post-processing. Then do the edits. Terrible, (laughs) you know? And this software just does, what, like, 
90% of that, we don't edit anything out because we're, we're great the first time through. But <laughs> after that, we are, we are live to tape, as we call it in the biz. <laughs> and yeah, I think, you know, it works well over time. I'm sure if you went back, if we listened to the first few episodes, I'm sure they weren't so great. But, you know, Frank and I have been friends for a long time. We really take topics off whatever we're working on currently. So we each yeah. submit a few topics and we talk about stuff. So when Frank was really into machine learning and AI and augmented well, reality, we talked about is. that. He still we're just not allowed to talk about it anymore. That's so there true. are rules that you have to put in place. <laughs> That's true. No, we try um, to find topics that are entertaining too. So it's, um, it's um, here's what I'm working on. How can I relate this to a bigger picture? How can I make this a, a more interesting topic than just purely what am I frustrated with right now? Those are always my favorite topics. I just feel bad because sometimes it takes me multiple weeks to work through a problem. So I'm like, nope, still working on the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll say the the final bits and pieces to the planning on my end is once I have it, I do a little post-production on Audacity because Audacity is amazing for the last bajillion mm-hmm. years. <laughs> um, and we use an amazing um, podcast yeah. host called Fireside. And this I'll put a link cool. in it's the from show. The, it's from Dan Benjamin at the 5x5 Network, a longtime 5x5 listener. They have a lot of great shows. And so it's super cool to be using his, uh, his software and network to host our podcast. Yeah, friend of the show, Dan Benjamin. <laughs> uh personal close friend to, to me and you were often in the slack channel <laughs> complaining i think uh and what's gr- you you are infamous yes sir <laughs> yeah what's great about that is as we're recording the episode we actually have a chrome little linklet that we can either any of us at any point can add a link to the uh podcast too which is really great and there's a whole business side to it as well and we're not rich off this mm. podcast by any means but that's actually <laughs> completely separate a whole separate maybe five minute lightning cat and lightning talk on the next episode 80 oh, okay. maybe we'll write that Ooh. down will we make mm-hmm. it that far yeah we will we yeah. made it this far <laughs> we did it that was it. it it was always like the tens were always um my moment to take a breather I'm like wow we did another 10 amazing but now it feels like we're just rolling through these things can't wait to yep. hit 80 90 then 100 knows i look r- real forward <laughs> to the 10th episode ev- every time because we don't have to think about the topics ever and they just kind of come <laughs> yeah, exactly. to us and that's a r- real nice break we just troll through twitter like okay what do people want us to talk about <laughs> it's great i love it well yeah. there you have so it frank we topics. crushed it yeah thank you um anything crushed else you want it, to talk huh? about no no this was good we'll be back more architecture more machine learning and neural networks soon i'm sure when All james right. lets me yeah exactly yeah and a few more we have a 10 episode break on that but you can always reach us of course on the twitters at merge conflict fm merge conflict.fm is our website and you can subscribe on all of your favorite podcast applications if you're using itunes we would absolutely love you uh if you leave a review in fact if you leave a review i will read one next week um, as long as it's five stars, and that'd be great. Great. Um, leave your honest feedback, but hopefully it's five stars. And of course, if you're using Overcast, hit that little like button up there and share it with all of your friends. We would love it. And until next time, this has been Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.